Greetings and salutations, board game fans. This is the Dice Pirates Podcast, episode 33. We are bringing you a review of Libertalia Winds of Galecrest, the new release by Stonemeyer Games, the remake of the original Libertalia. We're going to go ahead and break down our thoughts on that, what we think about it, how it stands up in the modern day, and... Uh, We'll get to that later. Of course, I'm joined by Aaron and Matt, as always, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful wife and fellow pirate, Tori. How you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. It was it was awesome to have you on last time. I'm glad we were able to get you back on. And of course, we have to deal with Aaron and Matt, you know, as always. So we'll, we'll make do. I just want to point out that uh, after 33 episodes, this is our first time reviewing an p- actual pirate game, right? Am I crazy? This is, That's true. This is a it landmark is like, moment. The Dice Pirates tackling Pirate We're finally game. on brand. The only thing we're missing is the fact that this game does not have dice, but like we'll get there. Not a single yeah. 33 episodes. Oh, we'll we'll round that corner. It'll be great. Didn't you guys do a review of Bluffineer when that came out? Or am I crazy? We did do a review of that, Matt. Well, no you're what disrupting the narrative. And that one actually had <laughs> bone dice, so it was probably the most on brand thing we've ever oh, done. Oh, man, I forgot about that. They were wow. a sponsor, too. Yeah, uh, come on. <laughs> I mean, never mind. Bluffineer is uh, the original, the best pirate game. Clearly, the better one. You know, much better than this game we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, I'm sure. Well, how to uh, make sure you get handed another um, sponsorship deal? One hundred and one. Uh, Sp- Bluffineers available at your local Target for $10. <laughs> That's why we don't ever have anyone on the show who actually knows what they're talking about because then we just immediately are shown for the buffoons that we are. <laughs> yeah. Call me Malcolm Gladwell because I am revising history. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> That was entirely too smart for every single person on this podcast, yeah. unfortunately. You, you don't know the demographic of this podcast, clearly. <laughs> Matt, I'm, I'm just gonna... laughing because you guys are laughing, and I assumed that was really funny. It All was, right. trust me. Matt, I'm going to go ahead and let you talk for a little bit longer, and surely that won't go poorly, because I know you have a soapbox that you want to talk about a little bit. I do, actually. Uh, this is a follow-up to an episode uh, some uh, months back when we reviewed... Uh, Eric Lang's uh, mythology trilogy of Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and the latest release, Ankh. Uh, at that time, uh, I had not played Ankh. Uh, Aaron was the only one of the crew who had uh, gotten that game to the table. and uh, but, but we got to play it, finally. Uh, Dice Pirates Max's uh, long-delayed uh, uh, Kickstarter uh, version of... Uh, Ankh finally delivered uh, some some time ago, and so we played it uh, this past Sunday. And I have thoughts, I have feelings. Um, I don't, I won't like rehash everything that we talked about about the game. It's basically uh, more uh, uh, minis on a map, vying for control of a space, uh, playing on a culture's mythology and history in a way that I don't know. It probably is respectful, but may not be. I don't I don't know enough to know. So a grain of salt there. I don't know enough about Egypt's uh, mythology and culture to know whether or not this is a, a faithful uh, adaptation of it, but certainly has lovely, luxurious miniatures, intense gameplay. But the one thing I do want to talk about, and Aaron, I want to hear your thoughts on this. The game's most unique mechanic is what they call the merged god mechanic. We talked about it in the episode, but to recap what that is, the two players who are in last place 
uh, at a point in the game will merge and become a singular entity, uh, effectively a team. They'll have to work together cooperatively to uh, try to win. Uh, in a, the game plays up to five players. Is that right, Aaron? Yes. Okay. So the game plays up to five players. I can imagine in a four or five player game that would feel uh, different than in the version we play because we played it three players, and that was a weird dynamic to come into play in a three player game because it was essentially uh, three players who had been head to head for an hour and a half. At that point, suddenly it came a it became a two versus one dynamic around the table, which felt very strange. It also uh, even though it's supposedly a merged god in a somewhat cooperative mode of play between the two players who are forced to merge, it, it feels like the player who is in last place is effectively eliminated because their miniatures are removed from the game. The The other player becomes the higher god, and they like literally sit on top of a pedestal. And the other player's like color is added at the bottom as like a little color base to like indicate that they're like a teeny part of this but it very much feels like the player who is like the lower god in this dynamic has been effectively eliminated from the game and is getting to make some decisions collaboratively with the other player but it doesn't really feel great in my i wasn't in the merge but watching it play out it doesn't feel great because it even says in the rules that the the higher god player gets to make the decision if there's a dispute over what to do in a given moment so they can talk about what actions they want to take, but if there's any disagreement, it's very clearly in the rules that like one player has the power and the other doesn't. It's deeply strange. So in a three-player game, it effectively felt like one player had got completely eliminated and frankly was felt a little salty about it, justifiably, I think. <laughs> and um, it was just, I've never encountered anything like that. It completely shook up the game. I can't decide if I like it or hate it, but I have to say that I have been thinking about it all week long. So there is something to be said for a game that has introduced something totally new that I keep playing out in my head. So, so I I may have brought this up in the episode, but um, like the the merge mechanic, which is the thing that a lot of people online have some very strong feelings about, was like the first part of the game basically that uh eric designed he, he said in interviews that like that was the first main concept that you know because because that's something that it you know you're talking uh speaking on historical accuracy that basically did happen not necessarily in a, a mechanical way mm -hmm. uh like it does in the game but certain gods would fall out of favor basically and just kind of get lumped in with other gods so you know he was like how can i take that and make that an integral part of my dudes on a map war game franchise yeah uh, i will say the first two games i played were uh both three player games one time i was a part of the merger another time i was the third player who did not get merged with and when i was part of the merger I absolutely got carried to victory. Like, I brought second place down seven or eight points, which, you know, in Ankh, that's that's a huge gap of points. Right. Uh, and then uh, my partner and I were able to, to steal first place. And then in the second game, I was in first place before the merge. 
but third place had been doing so, so terribly that they never really had a chance to recover before I was able to secure that win. Uh, I think something that people are not, you know, within, within the first one or two plays, you're not really going to realize how important it is to make sure that you're not... You don't want to necessarily leave last place super duper behind because all it takes is one person to have one really good turn and now suddenly you're in second to last place and you care a lot more about what last place is doing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just really appreciate this conversation because I haven't played Ankh yet. But I, I want to echo um, some of what Aaron was talking about, which is that it seems like the game does kind of speak to the cultural shifts that happened in Egyptian religious practice. Um, in particular, I'm kind of curious if Aten is a god. Um, there was this whole episode in like circa 1300 BC uh, when there was this god, um, Akhenaten. He was born Aminotep, I think. Uh, but he totally changed the Egyptian religious system to being, I think scholars kind of debate it now, but they think potentially monotheistic, uh, where Egyptians were just worshipping the sun, Aten. Um, and it was like this huge cultural shift. Uh, and fun fact, Akhenaten's, I think we believe his son was uh, Tutankhamun, so who also kind of restored some of this sun worship, um, which is just... Interesting. So I'm kind of, I, I would be fascinated to know if you can play as Aten. Uh, and if not, then that should be in some expansion pack where you have the ability to just destroy everyone and create a monotheistic system. Uh, I'll say, uh, I'll say this, like I realized as soon as I sat down to play the game that I know nothing about Egypt's mythology other than the most surface level of like what they kind of some of the big names but like i was playing raw and i guess raw is a, depicted as a bird and i did not know that and i was just like i thought i was like raw's a bird and then osiris is apparently just a blue man and i was like i would have sworn <laughs> like hand on a bible that like or uh what's the egyptian holy book uh i would have sworn on the book uh, of the dead i would have sworn on the book of the dead that uh raw was a was a person usually in the art. I didn't know that Ra was a bird. So we played Ra, we played Osiris, and we played a bull god that I did oh. not know. I, the name is escaping me, and I'd never heard of. So is there is a Hathor? lot there. The, the name, that doesn't ring a bell. Uh, but it is really interesting how they uh, have these unique, like, asymmetric powers. But the overall, like, vibe of the game reminded me of the American Gods book by Neil Gaiman, where the... Uh, the way it kind of plays with this idea of like gods like kind of get energy and relevance from worshipers and so that's a part of the game it's like you need they're, they're basically trying to get like the last remaining worshipers as the pantheon changes and dwindles oh, down so cool so and american of, gods is amazing neil gaiman sponsor us yeah there's a great it's a thematically it really works and uh i give simon a lot of like crud on this show sometimes for their overindulgent production values and waste but it's hard not to be like in awe when you see one of these games spread out i can't overstate how good these minis look the gods are like oversized like big old honking minis that are so detailed i spent half the game just like turning my little raw miniature statue around and around just looking at all the details anyway we've talked way too much about this game that we've already reviewed in detail 
it's really interesting. It, it's not like anything I've ever played, and i got to give it at least that. A game that i am really been talking and thinking about all week. As much as, much as we play board games, uh, to have something that I did not expect come to the table that really got me thinking, that's something worth getting excited about as a gamer. So, It's really neat when a game can capture your attention that way. Speaking of capturing someone's attention, we're going to go ahead and jump over to Bitter Board Gamers. We're going to find out people who were not captured by the game that they were playing. In fact, they were put, put off by it. I'm going to go ahead and read you guys some one-star reviews, and you guys are going to try and figure out which game I am talking about. You guys do ready? this. I'm pumped. Absolutely. All right. Your first review. This game is winnable by camping on spaces and letting other people kill each other because you're basically untouchable. Pretty big flaw in the design. Ooh. Camping on spaces and let other people kill each other because you're basically untouchable. Is it? Is it possibly Crusaders? It is not Crusaders, no. Uh, let me go ahead and give you guys a second review. King of Tokyo with more plastic? I don't care for King of Tokyo. Didn't care for this. That's so funny because I was about to guess King of Tokyo and I just like talked myself out of it. Is it Gekito? It's Gekito. Gekito. <laughs> Wait, I don't Talk understand. Talking about Simon. I don't understand what they are uh, saying in that game. Like, why like are you untouchable when you're on the space? It's been a while since I've played Gekito. Some spaces give you bonus to your defense, uh, and so theoretically you could just sit there. Although I think maybe they may have been playing incorrectly because then, I mean, it's like other people can... I don't know. I think they were playing wrong. But you are, there are spaces that give you more defense. I refuse and rebuke any and all criticism about Gekido Bot Battles. That is a fantastic game. It was stupidly overproduced and criminally yes. overpriced. So overproduced. <laughs> um, yeah. Simon did a bad job producing that game, I will fully admit. However, as a game... As a, yes. a thing that you can play, it's so good. It's really, really fun. One of my favorite memories, like of all time, of playing board games was playing that uh, with you, Aaron, uh, at uh, the Simon Expo, and the game's designer uh, fell. Uh, oh gosh, what's his last name? Baros. Fell Baros came up to talk to us about the game, and he and I was doing very poorly, and he was coaching me, trying to give me some tips on how to win. And I somehow st I still didn't win with the designer of the game, like basically trying to hack the game for me. Shocking, so that honestly. was uh, <laughs> that was that was a somehow still a favorite memory. It is a it's a better game than King of Tokyo, even though it has that exact same yes. vibe. Uh, but yes. there's a reason King of Tokyo is sold a bajillion copies is because it's like cheaply made. It's just like little standees, and it's cheap to make and mass produce. And yeah, this game has. Uh, large oversized pre-painted miniatures for all the robots that are fighting is basically the deal they, and are, they are awesome delightful they are delightful in every way they're fun to play with they're fun to look at it's like uh you feel like a kid playing with toys every time you the little, the, the little cat that looks like it got lost i was about to say everybody <laughs> name their fighter because i'm the cat Ooh, I gotta pull him up. It's been a while since. Oh, I'm I've like the uh, like the armored the, samurai Tetsubot. That's one of my favorites. I'm, I'm gonna go with the guy with the six arms and the like blender in his chest. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to dig that off the shelf. Like now that we're talking about that, I'm like, I need to get that back to the table. 
<laughs> I, I like the yellow guy that's like a robot with a bunch of arms. Yeah. That, that was my, I always liked him. Or her. Why, why am I, why am I gendering him? It, it. it's a robot. Uh, I I like that yellow robot. Uh, but it's a you're right. It's a great game. That was just way too expensive in its early run. It just never had a shot. Definitely worth. We'll have to pull that out again because yeah, now I want to play that game again. We're gonna move on to our second review. You guys ready? Yep. Let's do this. All right. Simultaneous action selection of like ten options paired with opponent selection consideration. Oh, and you played the right card to counter one opponent, but another player did too, and their color is randomly better than yours. Tough luck. Yuck. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is uh, a preview of things to come in this very episode. I'm gonna say this is for the first edition of Libertalia. <laughs> it isn't, this is in fact from the first edition of Libertalia. Oh no. So I'm not going to read one more review from the latest release, the remake. A mediocre original, but now it's in the sky and with furries? No, thank you. <laughs> with furries? No. Oh no. <laughs> oh. Uh, that, that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> it just feels like somebody projecting themselves. I know. Yeah, it's like, mm, you thought about furries. Interesting. Uh, the uh, the only thing I know about Libertalia was that uh, it was the subject of a episode of the late, great board gaming uh, YouTube show, uh, Tabletop with Will Wheaton. And it always made me want to play it, and uh, but then I never did. So I have nothing else to add. I just kind of wanted to bring up uh, Tabletop with Will Wheaton. There are a vast a huge number of reviews of the new release of Libertalia that actually are just generally disliking the art. They do not like the direction that the art took it. It's uh, the use the fact that it uses uh, anthropomorphic animals instead of like actual, like grittier, like pirates and stuff like that. A lot of people are very kind of put off by, by that. Definitely. And it's an interesting direction to take it. I, I like the art, but of course that's art is very subjective but we are going to definitely delve more into this course because we are going to be reviewing that game. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to jump into our review of Libertalia in just a second. Ooh, shuffling card sound effects. <sighs> insert, insert commercial for sponsor that we don't have. Yeah, yes. no, Neil Gaiman is sponsoring us now. Yeah, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, got that money. <laughs> Hello there, I'm Neil Gaiman. Famous <laughs> author. From Britain, y'all. <laughs> Read me books. <laughs> you know. In Amer what world is that a British accent? This is a British accent, mate. All right, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates. And we're going to go ahead and dive into our main topic this week, which is a review and a look at the latest game from Stonemeyer Games, which is Libertalia, The Winds of Galecrest, a game of sky piracy and uh, fancy animal folk that is a remake of a uh, fairly beloved uh, 2012 uh, release, Libertalia. And so uh, I have not played this one, so I will probably fade into the background a bit here while the rest of the crew uh, breaks this down. Uh, Ian, I'm going to toss it to you. What's this game all about? 
So Libertalia Winds of Gilcrest is, like you said, it is a new Stonemaier release. It's a remake of a 2012 game, which was just titled Libertalia. That game is out of print, and the rights to produce it and to the game itself was purchased by Jamie Stegmaier after uh, seeking it out, after playing it on Board Game Arena, where the original is playable still, if you're interested in playing it. So just came out, and it is essentially a hand management and sort of social deduction game where each round, there's going to be three different rounds, and in each round, you are going to go ahead and get a random assortment of six cards that are going to be in your hand. And everybody else gets the exact same cards. And this is where sort of the social deduction part of the game comes in, is because each card has a unique power that is associated with it. And so over the course of the each round, each round is broken down into days and each day you have the option to gain loot tiles which are going to give you doubloons which are going to be the points at the end of the game and so a big part of the game is figuring out which card is best to play but since everybody else has the exact same card you need to make sure that you're not messing up the chances to get the most out of that card some cards only give you benefits if you're the only one that has it or maybe you have to make sure that your card is going to be the furthest left or the furthest on the right. And depending on what other people are going to play, that can mess it up. So there is a lot of consideration on what other people are going to play. And that's going to, I mean, that's pretty much most of the game is just doing that. You're playing cards. Everybody else plays a card as well. You figure out the actions. You take these loot tokens. You do that until a round ends. You score up. That It's, it's honestly fairly simple. And I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but uh, Aaron, I know you played a bunch of this as well, and Tori and I have played this a bit as well. What did you guys think about this game when we jumped into it for the first time? So, uh, you know, if, if you follow the Instagram, my review has already been posted as well as uh, Ian's scathing descent. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I thought he liked Jamie Stegmeyer's games, but shows what I know. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, you know, interestingly, I played after I would uh, placed my pre-order. I saw the first edition was on uh, Board Game Arena. Played it on Board Game Arena. Didn't care for it. Was considering canceling my order, but I was like, well, I've already pre-ordered it. You know, uh, it's a Stonemeyer thing, and I, I guess I'm just pot committed at this point. So I'll, I'll let it show up. And uh, got it to the table. The the weekend it showed up. Uh, I, enough cannot be said about the fact that because it's simultaneous action, everyone has the same cards, the teach and the setup for this game, very quick. You know, you have one person, if you're playing with all six people at the table, one person shuffles their deck. Otherwise, you can just shuffle the deck that no one's using and just leave that one to be the shuffle deck that doesn't ever get put back in order. Uh, and then... So it, it, it sets up quick. It's it's really easy to get people going because it's just we're going to have six cards in our hand. We're each going to play one of them. And then all at once, we're going to figure out what happens. Uh, I have really gotten into lately like simultaneous action selection games. Where everyone goes at once and then you resolve everyone's actions at once. Um, I... I played a bunch of uh, Village Pillage last weekend, which is a, a game from Jellybean Games, where you pick a, a card to play, the player on your left, the player on your right, everything happens at once. It's it's phenomenal. So, 
sets up very quickly, easy to understand. You've got uh, you know nice big, uh, everything's nice. It's nice to hold. It's nice to touch. It's nice to interact with. You've got uh, the treasure tiles are these thick azul bakelite tokens that clink and clank so beautifully as you're pulling them out of the bag and setting them on the board. Uh, your score tracker is uh, this cardboard dial scenario that uh, looks like a, a little treasure chest and you're cranking up as you bury your treasure how many points you have. Uh, in the first edition of the game, the points track was like a board that you had. It was just a sideboard that was its own thing. It was just a bunch of numbers in a circle counting up so you know you don't have to worry about somebody bumping the table because it's on the little cardboard thing and it's friction set in place the um, component design in the game is, is absolutely fantastic yeah. for sure i mean yeah between the, the treasure chest and if you spend enough to get the metal doubloons i mean metal coins are always amazing you'll never complain about those it adds so much to every game and you get a little tray to to put everything and i mean yeah it's a, it's a stone Mower game so you expect things to be made with you know a certain amount of love and uh, there's a tension in them and it really is like really nice to hold and i i'd also like that they put a lot of effort into making sure that you could play multiple different ways because if you flip the board over there's a whole host of new actions that can be taken and it changes the way the game plays and so i like that a lot because it, i mean it made it made, you know it not only is that, you know, it looks visually different, so they put effort into the art, but it also adds more to the game as well. Yeah, I certainly agree uh, with the comments about the game being really easy to pick up. Um, I'm one of those people who, whenever somebody explains a new board game to me, it's like I have like an out-of-body experience where I'm watching someone explain the rules to me, and it's just like white noise is playing, <laughs> and I have to just pick it up as I go. Uh, but this wasn't so tough for me to pick up, and I agree that part of it's that, you know, you and your opponent are using the same cards. Um, although, I will say, and I know that this is me not getting the game or something, but I kind of find that mechanic boring. Uh, there's something about knowing exactly what cards the other person has that is sort of lackluster for me and I get that I mean I'm definitely in this conversation I'm understanding more about the idea that oh well you're supposed to guess which one your opponent is going to use at a given time but I don't know maybe that's just not a style of gameplay that I enjoy very much it's um, also so I mean that's something as well because you and I played with two players and I mean they did what I will say is that they did a good job of actually including additional rules to make sure that it is playable with two people there's an extra tile that is only for two-player games that you actually put on the board that essentially acts as almost a third person on the island so it enables a little bit more uh like interaction and a little bit more strategy to it but with fewer people i mean like yeah the knowing what the other person plays is, is necessarily a lot simpler and there's a lot less dynamic yeah like when we played with two people yeah, but I mean, it, any any game, especially something like this, where you've got the, the simultaneous selection and a big part of it relies on, uh, you know, not, I, I don't want to say social deduction, it's definitely not werewolf, but that kind of venue of really having to figure out what your opponent's going to do and then trying to work your play around that 
it's absolutely going to not be as strong with two as it would with more players just because it's just you and the person across your table. Um, you know, like, I'm a, a big fan of, like, Azul. Azul at two players is a completely different game than with three or four. Like, it is... It, it's not even... It plays kind of differently. Like, it is... It is a separate thing. You could put that in a box by itself. It is so different from having three or four players. Uh, but, I mean, that is a, a, a valid criticism, for sure, that with... Because I played it at uh, five the couple times that I've played it now. And so there was always enough people and enough going on that you couldn't really lock down okay, I know that John's going to go for that, and I know that Nick's going to go for this, because there's just too much information. You can't know everything uh, like you can. you know. In a, in a two-player game, it's, it's a lot easier to keep track of, I know what you're going to be doing, whereas when you've got all of those people, because some of them are going to be countering other people. So you, it's there, there's just... there's Well, like especially because, I mean... Uh, a, a big part of it is as you play you're in each round you're not going to play all of your cards so you're going to have a couple that you keep over to the next round and so as the game goes on you do actually have a different hand than your opponents do you have a lot of the same cards but depending on what you keep over and i'm curious if you felt the same way tori like i enjoyed the later rounds way more than i enjoyed the earlier rounds because there was a little more uncertainty to it i don't know if you felt the same way about that yeah, that definitely makes sense. And Aaron's explanation, because I know that you, Ian, have had the chance to play with a couple more people, um, but I've only played two players so far. And it definitely makes sense that it's just because the options and possibilities are limited that maybe gameplay feels a little stilted or not as exciting. Um, but I agree that, yeah, the later rounds are a little bit more dynamic just because you do have more cards. So that makes a lot of sense. It's very similar in solo as well. Like when you're playing solo, the the way that the game because you still get the exact same cards as the Automa does that you know the sort of the AI that you're playing against, and the there's a essentially like a, a formula each time you play for what card the Automa is going to play, and so as you're playing by yourself, you know what your opponent is going to play before they play it and that really changes the way the game and i i love that they put in a solo play version of course you know I, we've talked about that a lot and i think that's great but it, it kind of i i enjoyed playing it solo but it honestly takes away a lot of the game and it's almost like a more distilled version of kind of the issues i have with the the two and even three player games is where when you know exactly what the other person is going to play it kind of just becomes like you can plan almost the entire round out and know what you're going to need to do and uh, figure out exactly the best card to play for each situation. And I mean, yeah, you could ignore that and not do it that way. But I mean, it's just in general, like if you, I, I think, and I, I'm just curious to see you know, more of your thoughts on this because you've played it with more people, Aaron, but I think in general, if you're playing this with fewer than four people, I don't think you're going to get the best experience. Yeah, uh, I haven't. I've I've only played it a couple times that I have, and it was it was with five both times. Uh, so I can't speak a hundred percent. This is absolutely something that will I think be reviewed differently 
depending on the number of people that people can get it to the table with. Uh, I think if you only ever, ever played it at, you know, solo or even two-player, it's not going to be the game that you necessarily wanted it to be. Uh, this is something that I, I think really was designed for, you know, four, five, or six-player and the fact that even the two-player game has special components that they had to introduce to make the game work says a lot to the fact that you do need a higher player count. Um, and I think that's—I don't think that's necessarily a criticism against the game. Not every game needs to support every player count. I have absolutely played games that are—you know—it's a two-player game that technically scales to four. But I would never play it with that many people. Just like, you know, with this, I, I'd, if, if there were only four people at game night, I would pick something else first. If everyone else wanted to play it, I'd happily play it. But this would not be the first thing that I picked from the, the pile of games. Two player is a really interesting player count. And not many game like almost every game is like, the player count is like two to whatever. Like you, you see very few games that like openly admit to being like three player minimum. Almost every game like indicates that it'll play two, but very few games actually do play well at two. In fact, you know, we did an early podcast episode all about good two player games just because it's tough, you know, to find them. And I wish sometimes I wish they would just like be honest and just put three to six on the side of a box. You know, like it's does it it's not great for two. And when there are special I also get leery of any game where like one of the player counts requires some special thing to make it work. Like I uh the first one that came to mind is like I almost never play uh two player tiny epic kingdoms because it is essentially a three-player game. It has an AI third player, because it just doesn't work with two players. They put two on the box, but you just have to run it with an AI third player that has a complicated set of rules to figure out what it does. It was like, okay, so it just doesn't work with two people. I get it. Let's just put three. So maybe this is another one of those cases where the box uh, could have been, bit, uh, the player count could have benefited from being a little bit more dialed in. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that they put effort into making it playable with one and two people. I think that is worth it. There is, like, the one other thing that I would say uh, about the game is because you get a random assortment of cards, there are various abilities that take place at different times of the, the each, each round as you're playing cards. And uh, depending on what you get, you may not have any cards that activate in, like, a certain time frame. Some powers may be better than others and depending on the random assortment of cards you get sometimes you can get an incredible like combo things that work really well sometimes the cards that you get are all just every single card is just kind of bad and there's no good options and that is one thing that i mean that's part of it that's part of the game but that is one thing that especially like starting with new people and you want to get like these fun things when every single card just kind of feels bad to play it's it's not amazing and you can sometimes get stuck into weird situations. As I was playing with, with three people and they were playing new, I actually did, after I pulled six cards out, I actually switched out a couple cards because I was like, all right, this is literally almost the exact same thing as what we did the previous round. I need to change it up. I need to get something new in there because otherwise it's just going to be, it's going to be kind of stale and we're going to be doing the same thing over again. But all that said, 
a lot of the time you do get really interesting connections between the ways that things work. For instance, there is reputation track and some cards will give you bonus points depending on how far down the reputation track you move or how far up the reputation track you move. And if you're to the left of a player, you can gain something more, but if you're there, then you get less points from another card. So there is a lot of interesting stuff to play and we've, kind of been a little bit down on the game but i am curious as to what you guys did enjoy because i actually i do like the game i think there are flaws with it but i did actually enjoy because once you get into you know trying to figure out the best card to play and you know stacking your coins up in front of you and then counting them there is a really fun gameplay loop there and i'm just curious what you guys what what did you guys enjoy about it because i know there's definitely issues but what was your favorite part of playing well i don't want to kind of jump the gun or uh, jump the blunderbuss, as it were. Eh? Eh? Pirate humor. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to kind of talk about the art, because that's probably the part of the game that I enjoyed the most, which isn't to say that the game is bad. It's just that I really, really enjoyed the art, because it's cute. And furry comments aside, uh, you do have just sort of these <laughs> anthropomorphic, animals wearing cool piratey clothes um i'm not sure you know how well the roles of the cards you know compare to the original version but i kind of liked being you know pulling out a card and saying oh here's a you know i can't think of any there's a barkeep and there's a <laughs> you know it was it was kind of fun finding you know what the card was, what this persona is, and how they illustrated it with this cute little animal. Now, some of the anthropomorphic animals are more on the anthropomorphic side and less on the animal side. I remember one of them looking at it and just being like, that's just a hot woman. <laughs> like, they didn't even try to make that look like an animal. Um, but, I mean, all things considered, I think that uh, that's you know, a really enjoyable aspect of the game. The cards are just cute and interesting to look at. I'm glad you brought up the art. I was curious, like, do you think you would have enjoyed, like, a more traditional piratey look? The original Libertalia sort of famously has this art style that looks like uh, the Signet Classics versions of Treasured Island from, like, when you were a kid. Uh, <laughs> so, like, and so this new version is kind of like... Uh, dwellings of elder veil kind of anthropomorphic animal folk do you think you would have liked a more traditional piratey game or does this uh draw you in more this the animals and the sky pirate i i like bright and colorful games i like games that have not necessarily fun cheery artwork but you know uh, use the space you have access to any design idea and literally every color make use of that is is my personal opinion um you know the original version was was a little more uh pirates of the caribbean ride inspired with with guys with you know like various diseases on their faces and that's fine if that's what you're into that's you know that I, is I, exactly I, what i'm into <laughs> um but I, I really like the artwork in the new version. I like the the choice to go with anthropomorphic animals. You're not typifying anybody or anything because they're all just fun animal people. And fun animal people don't exist, so they look like what I say they look like. 
I, I th- I'm, I'm a little disappointed that the Sky Pirates of it all is basically only existent if you look for it specifically in the background of the artwork. There's nothing about the game that is they're Pirates of the Sky because you're still going down to the island to get the treasure and then you're burying the treasure, which is how it becomes points that can't be taken away from you. So it's like, so the whole Sky Pirate thing was just for funsies that has nothing to do with anything and that's fine but i was promised a game about sky pirates and there's no sky pirates in this there's just regular pirates that happen to be like warthogs and crocodiles and again that's cool uh but yeah no i just i i like that it's more bright and colorful i feel like that's a lot easier to get to the table it's more eye-catching when you've got the stack of games off to the side and when you open it up and there's you know these these treasure chest dials that look like uh dia de los Mur- like sugar skulls like they have that intricate uh line work on them and everyone's looking at their hand of cards and they're you know th- these these fantastical people creatures doing all these crazy things i think that's a better personally i think that's a better choice for the artwork than drab dreary pirates who are just counting down the days until the big one gets them personally i mean matt i feel like you're going to disagree i know you like games that are all about people uh you know ink drawings one or two colors tops and everyone's on the verge of dying but uh you know for for us regular folk yeah i mean you know my aesthetic is plague stricken i mean i want like a strong sense of uh... (laughs) I mean, well, I want to. You're living uh, in the right time. Yeah, I want a strong sense of despair in most of the games that I play. Uh, no, I don't have a strong feeling about the art. I just I saw it and I knew that like purists and like board game traditionalists were gonna freak out because it dared to differ. It also just my only mild observation about the art is I just saw it and my first thought was, oh, this is the world that Root hath wrought. You know, we're living in like peak animal game because of how popular Root was, <laughs> and I, I was... think this. I was just about to say, sorry to interrupt you, but I was just thinking while Aaron was talking about the art, which I totally agree, I love it. Uh, I like it way more than if it were just crusty old pirates. Um, And I was thinking, wow, all my favorite games to play right now involve animals wearing clothes. There's (laughs) Tiny Towns, uh, which just has the cutest little animal villagers. There's near and far and above and below um there's something about it it's just charm maybe it's because we all were indoctrinated by chronicles of narnia uh and <laughs> yeah or red you know, wall, red wall. <laughs> yeah and all those so we just love a small animal wearing a waistcoat and carrying a sword but yeah i dig it it's definitely a game that is i mean like you guys have absolutely said it's it's absolutely beautiful i'd love to get kind of your overall thoughts from each of you just sort of uh what do you think about the game overall is it a game that you would play again and would you recommend for somebody to pick it up aaron what about you i enjoy it uh i mean it's i like how quick it plays i like how easy it is to teach i I play with a group that we we do tend to get sucked in by new games a lot uh you know very very cult of the new so something that plays quickly that teaches quickly and that you can understand 
why you're doing things almost as fast as how to do them is is always a, a high earner in in my pod uh i, I really like i like the artwork choices i like the mechanical changes um i we tagged this in a instagram post Game Boy geek has a video if you've played the first edition and you're curious what's different it's like a 20 minute video where he goes line item like each every tiny little change he he details uh and i watched that just to kind of get an idea and i was like oh yeah no i like everything that was made different in this version of the game so if you're at all curious about it find somebody in your group that, that picked it up pick it up yourself uh i think this this deserves a spot on your shelf if only because it's a great it's a board game that plays six players and it's not a party game it's an actual real board game that you can play with people who play actual real board games in a six player count which is Good point. very uncommon that's pretty rare what about you tori what do you think about it i liked it like i said you know i i might like it more at higher player counts but overall you know i'd be happy to play it again uh we didn't talk so much about some of the components like the little map tokens and the barrel tokens and you know these different kinds of loot that you pick up at the end of every round if you're lucky uh but i think those are fun i mean i I just think there's a lot to enjoy about the game and i hope that maybe some of the gamers that are a little salty about the updates to the art style or play components i hope maybe they'll give it a shot because i actually i think it's quite worth playing and you know to go back to the earlier point we discussed about how easy it is to teach and learn i feel like this is one that you could play with people who are just learning how to board game it could be sort of you know a new generation gateway game where you say okay so you like cards (laughs) let's play with a little bit more you know complex mechanics yeah, just adding some stuff on top of it. I definitely agree. I think that this is a game I would play again. I did enjoy playing, I, I, even though I, I would like to play it again with fewer people. Maybe, you know, as you get more into the the strategy, maybe it gets more interesting. But I think that if you're going to pick this game up, you could always try the original on board game arena. Uh, unless you have a larger group that's going to play, maybe you want to take a pass on it for now, or maybe see what you think by watching some videos. Overall. I definitely think it's a good game one way or another, and I think if you're interested at all, definitely consider picking this up giving it a shot. That is our review of Libertalia Winds of Gelcrest. Of course, as always, if you do enjoy the podcast, consider giving us a like, maybe leave us a review, let us know what you think about it, or suggest it to a friend, maybe. Or you could even just reach out to us. We promise we will be nice to you. Matt, if people do want to talk to us, where can they get in touch? You can find us on the Instagram, at Dice Pirates. We're there all week long, posting about the games we're playing. We've got reviews. We got cute pictures. We got humor. Come find us. We have cat yeah. photos. We have cat photos. Uh, Ian and Tori have some great cats that like to uh, intrude upon game time forcefully and cute, cute, cutefully. Is that a word? Let's make it a word. It is now. Definitely keep an eye out for new episodes, of course, coming out. But until then, as always, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games. Bye. I waved. It didn't effectually. Did everyone notice that?